Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I got a chance to catch up with Kyle Ling, the founder and creative director of Brain Dead. We dive into his upbringing in the Bay Area, his relationship with his father, being an outcast and developing confidence to make his own choices, and moving to LA and eventually starting Brain Dead and the projects that he did along the way. It's a great story and really inspiring. Kyle's got amazing positive energy and his curious mind and enthusiasm is pretty contagious. I loved hearing about how he integrates the things he's excited about in his life into his brand and brings that to life in a really authentic and cool way. You just really get a feeling of how much he cares and how much he enjoys what he does. And that's always an inspiring feeling and thing to see because it's pretty rare in the world these days. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. All right. So Kyle, thanks for coming on the show and taking the time today. Um, you know, I've been watching what you've been doing for the last few years from kind of a distance. We've met a few times, but, um, this is the first time to really kind of dig in and, and learn more about you. So I was kind of hoping maybe you could start off by just sharing a little bit about where you grew up and what you're into and, and what that was like. So like I grew up in the Bay area near Berkeley in this little town called Orinda. And, um, it was kind of a pretty suburban town, mostly like white people and like Asians. And, um, you know, growing up, like my dad was really into art and design and I kind of was raised around that and like kind of modern design and like postmodernism architecture and all that stuff. So that was kind of in, innate into my like well-being of just like early art references. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like in high school and stuff, I really got into like skateboarding and um, I got really into like music in that world so like a lot of indie rock and punk and then i started going to the gilman a lot which was like the local punks club in berkeley and kind of like learning about community and learning about like you know just like underground music as a whole and barry at the time in like 2000 was like an amazing time so like first there was my friends who were like very like punk kids you know just doing their thing we're really into like kind of what was like the early like whatever they want to call it screamo which is like a more the aggressive jazzier hardcore like not like the screamo that people think about but like more of like bands like seisha or like post emo stuff like late 90s stuff and that was we were playing shows all around the bay area but all my friends are like super stoneries like stoner Mm -hmm. dudes and like that just wasn't my vibe so at that time i kind of was like hey you know what i'm gonna become a straight edge kid so like since then I've been pretty straight. Like I've definitely like smoked weed since, but like, I kind of like kept it very like healthy. Like I don't drink now. I don't smoke. I don't do any drugs. So that was like very innate into like my well being of like who I was, mm-hmm. was like always kind of being like, I don't want to say like, I always like it, all this stuff really taught me to like question, like what is the standard of everything? Right. Like do the opposite of what like everyone's kind of doing. Right. Could not fit with that. Like, the norm, I guess, whatever, in a really corny way. But um, that said, from like 
the hardcore and punk shit, that stuff kind of like was cool to me, but I got more and more inspired by music. So I got really interested in like, kind of like weird experimental music. Like there's this guy, Mike Patton, who was um, really into, I mean, Mike Patton's from Faith No More. But basically at that time, he was really listening to like John Zorn, like this free jazz musician, experimental musician, really into the boredoms and stuff. And I remember seeing a show of him and Ikumori and, and John Zorn performing like crazy experimental noise stuff. And that changed everything for me. That was like mm. the definitive, like, this is where I'm going to go in my life was like, it was heavy. It was metal. It was fucking hardcore. And, but, it, and then say it wasn't the conventional thing. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was like really the launch point of like my mindset moving forward in all art and design that I was interested in as a kid. And like the things I didn't care about, like, you know, the scene at the time when I was young or like what skateboarding was doing. I just wanted to do like really left field stuff. Um, basically, at that time, I was also getting really into film and I moved to L.A. to pursue film when I was 18. I left high school early to did independent study. And came here to kind of study film. Um, the last few years of high school, which is kind of interesting too, was my friend, the only other punk kid at my school, like like crazy real crust punky, was this girl Lisa. And she was like kind of a freak, total freak. Like no one in our school was like, everyone was like punky, but like they were still like pretty like, everyone's good looking jockey. And um, I remember there's this one kind of like loser outcast girl, uh who was came up to me was like, Hey, like I see you're wearing this, like, you know, I think it was a J.R. Ewing t-shirt or something like, Oh, you like J.R. Ewing? I'm like, yeah. She's like, Oh, that's cool. Like you should come meet up with me and my dad. We build battle bots. So at the time they're building those battle bots. I'm like, that sounds insane. And their partner was the guy who invented SimCity, Will Wright. So he was like the most famous person in my town at this time. And he was really cool. We go to his, his his place in Berkeley and it's this robotic factory and they just make robots and like short films. And there's like all these special effects guys just working on fun projects because Will Wright had all this money from EA at the time and they would just make crazy shit. Um, and that was where I spent like all my junior year of high school was just hanging out with these guys, making robots, making concept things and um, having fun. And then I met Phil Tippett too, who was a friend of a, another kid, and he's the guy who did all the special effects for like Star Wars, all the stop motions and like, wow. like Starship Troopers. So like at that time, like I was losing my mind because it's like, oh my god, these guys are just like always down to make cool things, and it was like very punk where it was like not about the money, like they were making mm-hmm. crazy money, but it was just like hanging out with kids and like making fun things where we would go to like see Ray Harryhausen short films like on on film in Alameda on a naval base that they would just screen with the Pixar guys right. and stuff. So a lot of the stuff growing up was like really art focused and this like feeling of just like community and just making things. So to that point, like when I came to LA, it was just all about like anything I could do creatively. I was like really interested in like all facets of media. So when you were in high school and a teenager exploring some of this stuff, like there must've been a time when you didn't have that community and you were just like following your nose and didn't really have those older people to like show you this cool stuff i mean so like the craziest thing so like to that point i mean i'm chinese american and like 
I was, you know, very different. Like I would have my Chinese friends who wanted to be like very Chinese, right? Like very Asian. And like, that was it. Right. And then I had like my white friends and they were very white. And then I had my, you know, black friends, but they're because my parents grew up in Oakland and Berkeley area. So I would see them like on the weekends, but I really, where my school was, I was definitely a weirdo and an outcast. Cause like, you know, they'd mm-hmm. be like, I'm into this, but they were all like, our school was small. So we all started off playing basketball together, playing football, every sport together. And then we learned skateboarding. But, you know, they were pretty much jocks who were skateboarding with me. But yeah. I was a little more cultured just because of all my like family who would also take me to go to, you know, Albany, Berkeley, all these, see like amazing culture. And I remember mm-hmm. the big change was, um, this one time I was like, I was like super into Dragon Ball Z when I was a kid. And like one of this, one of my friends like saw some drawings I was making like Goku at that time. And then he called me a fag. And I was just like so bummed because I thought it was the like coolest stuff. And I was like, damn, dude, like these guys don't get me. So like I, yeah. I basically was like so over my friends at the time that I like kind of like left him. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. And just I only hung out with like my punk friends and all that stuff that I Mm -hmm. met like along and I just realized I didn't even fit in with like my friends from my high school, even my closest friends. And -hmm. it was really just like a journey of having people around me who like, maybe I wasn't that close with, but just like that I can go to shows with, or I can skateboard with, but I never felt connected with like my high school friends for the most part, you know? So I didn't really have like a really good, like sense of community with the people at my school. It was definitely like, until I went to places like there's a store called giant robot in San Francisco that was all like art and design based stuff Mm -hmm. and Asian American. And this guy, Derek um, was the manager. And I started going every week to hang out almost every other day. I would take Bart into San Francisco to hang out with him and learn about like Barry McGee and all these artists. And um, yeah, those were like kind of my peers were like these older dudes. And he ended up being my partner an investor in farm tactics when I first started. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, when I was in high school, I definitely got called a fag <laughs> plenty of times myself. <laughs> Even though I was kind of still in the jock mold somewhat, I definitely felt like outside of it. And, you know, I relate as well. Like there was a cool shop in downtown Victoria in Canada. And I like just started going there and hanging out and hanging out and just like learning about like rap and hip hop and streetwear and art and like stuff from the owners. And yeah, that sort of education is is cool it's really funny right like it's kind of like i mean even i remember i used to go to this place 510 skateboarding and it was like the cool skate shop like you know they would have amazing art amazing boards and everything and it's when nike first hit and nike was really uncool and i remember seeing daniel shimizu wear the bison nike which is the brown with the red toe cap and i Mm. thought it was the coolest shoe ever i'm like cool i'm gonna buy this shoe and I wore it to school and it was like, what are these shit shoes? Like, they look like pieces <laughs> of shit. And I'm like, they're brown. Like, it's like so funny because it's like, you know, to them, it's like, it's just like, oh, brown is shit. And yeah. you're just like, okay, like, you know that it's cool because you see like cool people wearing it. But because they don't have context of what really is cool, mm-hmm. it's like really funny. Like, you're probably the same thing. Like, you knew all this stuff that like all the cool older people knew, but like, the, these guys are so ignorant at the time because they're just kids and they're just like, yeah. like, push you. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's yeah. really funny. Like, you're like, okay, whatever, dude. It's like, you know. Yeah. I think it's interesting because it builds like some character into yourself 
from a young age to be able to be like, no, nah, I'm going to wear that thing, even though people aren't going to get it or I'm going to get like called whatever. And then you kind of start to like build confidence in yourself to make your own choices, which is like, powerful down the road. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll talk more about it, but like, you know, to me, I think it's a really interesting thing where like the things that seem subcultural now are like the mainstream, right? Because of the aesthetic mm-hmm. or whatever. And it must be such a trippy time to be a kid where, you know, there's definitely like an underground, but I can't even imagine what it is to be a kid that has to find their own thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, at, you know, I'm in my thirties when I look at like the 20 year old kids, it's like, damn, like it's pretty monoculture. You know what I mean? Like I definitely yeah, find yeah. like you're really extreme kids are rent- into their own thing but it's a lot harder than like you know your little tribes of people that were like like if i met you i'd be like oh that's my guy like i we definitely have something in common now i meet so many people i'm like oh they might be into clothing or this and then we have nothing in common you know right, what i mean yeah. it's just like yeah. or like it's just like oh cool you like you look cool but we're just not the same you know yeah i feel like a lot of those like signifiers that you could pick out 10 15 20 years ago don't really exist anymore And it's like, you know, when we were younger, it was all about finding that shoe that nobody else had or that thing that was like that T-shirt that was rare that you got from the concert you went to. And now it's like people only want stuff if everyone has it. Yeah, it seems like that's such a bizarre mindset. You know what I mean? And it's cool, like whatever, like I'm all down for like more of a larger community. But I think Mm -hmm. the idea of having a unique perspective is being lost in like the algorithmic culture that we're living in where it's like yeah you know like i look at even like something that's super cool like 824 it's like you ask most people about independent film and it's, they, they think like independent films called 824 right like it's like really insane to me where you're like this is, it's like <laughs> no one's trying to search things when we have everything yeah. at our disposal you know yeah. it's crazy totally. so you said your dad was really into art was he like showing you artists and art and taking you to galleries when you were growing up yeah you know it's it's so basically when i was raised it's a really interesting story like my dad was like a dirtbag rock climber guy and he was like a geologist so like i really grew up around rock climbing and like kind of like he was a really cool guy and just like whatever he was became very successful at mortgage brokering so he had like he had like he was like a really he like used to live in his car kind of thing and then he like bought like finally built like this insane house and he started collecting frank stella's and like crazy shit like he had an insane art collection so he had frank stella's he had like jim dines he had like ed moses's so like that was definitely something that like i knew about and it was like really crazy but more just like you know like oh my dad's cool like you know he has Mm -hmm. stella like you don't know until now like well that was insane right yeah um unfortunately (laughs) his um uncle I mean, his brother and my grandpa like had one of the largest mortgage fraud cases ever. So he lost everything, which is insane. Oh. And we have no money, but <laughs> or no saving, but that's fine. But, you know, the thing about it was like his taste level was really interesting. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew who like, you know, like Michael Graves was or like the Memphis movement mm-hmm. at a very young age, you know, and I think it made me look at things in a very interesting way. Yeah, so he was definitely a big inspiration in my taste. Yeah, that's cool to be introduced to like those types of artists and approaches like so early. I feel like I didn't really under 
uncover some of that stuff for myself until I was probably like 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, like, you know, like it's kind of, it was a great DNA to build upon, but like it definitely like started there. So then I got a advantage going to the next level, I would say like, you know, learning a deeper taste or like learning about basically the basics, right? Like mm-hmm. my dad was listening to new order and like Falco, like new wave stuff. So yeah. I had to like go back. Like I didn't listen to the Beatles. So I was like, 22 25 like i didn't and yeah. i had like my mind was blown i'm like this is the best shit ever like but like it's funny i didn't know about the rolling stones really you know what i mean i don't right, know yeah. still really but like it's great you know from yeah. right here like it's cool so yeah so when you were growing up did you go rock climbing with your dad then yeah so i used to go rock climbing when i was super young i i would go like up to tuolumne meadows which was near yosemite and then i would go to um a little to the bouldering I would say like to like the indoor climbing gyms and then not until I was in LA did I start going more frequently like a lot um I remember a time when I used to play basketball when I was like 12 or 13 my dad would go climbing under this bridge in Berkeley called the Golden Gate Wall and it was this long kind of mosaic wall where a lot of the kind of like old school Bay Area climbers would train for Yosemite Mm -hmm. and um he would just traverse it back and forth. And to me, it was like, whoa, this is so insane. I knew it was insane <laughs> then. And then I remember recently when I was like, I was like, shit, I got this. I was like, we're on this North Face project in Alameda. I'm like, okay, after you know the meeting, we're going to go to this fucking traverse and we're going to get this. Like, I'm all strong now. It was so hard. Like, I only got like a quarter of it. I'm just like, dude, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> and I was like, dang, he was really good. Like, you knew it, yeah. you know? That's cool. So how was the transition for you when you moved to LA then? Did you have to kind of like find a new community or did you already know some people down here? Well, the crazy thing is that I don't drive, right? So like when I first moved here, I moved to like Barham Boulevard because it's by this like film program I was going to. And I um, would take a bus everywhere. And it was like a pretty crazy time because I got to listen to so much music just like on an iPod or whatever. Mm-hmm. and i would skateboard around just town like i thought hollywood was like the only place and it was like the shittiest place <laughs> where i ended up having an art gallery at one point that like got like it was weird i just like was living in hollywood like proper the craziest part about that was that i just would know everyone in the streets because i was always there so right. i remember going to um hollywood highland and there's a horror convention on on that block and i got my board signed by um oh i forgot who it was it's like some really famous special effects artist who did like night of the living dead and um i was like really psyched he signed my like crooked skateboard and i go to this next person and it was like this like dvd sales guy right and he had all these like battle royale and old boy dvds and at the time that's when it came out and i was like oh my god like he has all these movies he's so sick and he had a dark throne t-shirt on and I'm like, dude, this guy's so tight. Like, what's this guy's vibe? And we start talking and he's like, hey, what's up, man? Like, you know, like just talking to me about like what he does. And he sold DVD region coded movies because he is so anti bootlegging. And at the time, <laughs> a lot of people were making like bootleg versions of all these like international films. But he would sell like the legitimate copies. And it was just like the most obscure business where you had to buy like a DVD player. So I was like, dude, fuck this guy. This guy's so sick. Like, I'm so down. And he ended up opening a little DVD shop inside this comic book shop called Meltdown Comics. That was also on Sunset. And I used to go there 
every day and lurk it for like seven hours a day. Swear to God to like, <laughs> like four to like closing, which was like 10 or something. And it was the most insane experience of just like hanging there, learning about all these movies and then comic books. And like at the time, Gaston, who actually he owns the, he does the network now, that thing with Aaron Levant, he would owns that comic book shop and everyone ran through there. So basically mm. like Darren Romanelli, that's where I met him. Um, the guy in the back was like a, um, a kind of like a sculptor of toys. This guy, Nathan Cabrera, and he did a lot of graphic design. Um, and I used to hang out with him and he taught me how to do a lot of sculpture and like graphic design. He's the one who taught me how to use Photoshop. Oh, cool. And just hanging out with those guys. We collected a lot of taxidermy at the time. We we're hanging out with, like all these kind of like whatever, like art, you know, artists like Tim Biscup, Gary Baseman, all those guys in LA. And I was kind of becoming part of this community of artists. Right. And, um, that was kind of like my new scene where these guys, Mm-hmm. And these are the people I looked up to when I was a kid. It was like, just like fell into place. And I remember Darren Romanelli, he was working with Nathan Cabrera, the guy who was teaching me all this stuff. And was like, Hey, like you should do an installation for my shop called one, eight, one Martel. And it was like this fashion shop that like they would do like, you would do like cut up Jordan jackets or some shit yeah. like black Sabbath collaboration <laughs> stuff. And it was like a really crazy store. And I'm like, cool, I'll do it. So we worked on that. And then during that time, it was my 21st birthday. And he's like, let me have your, let me throw your 21st birthday. So we had this huge, <laughs> crazy birthday party at like, at his house. And it was safari themed. And we had like members of Oingo Boingo performing. It was so insane. Like crazy people like Jose Parlo would be there because he was like best friends with him. And like, it was just the most insane party. I'm like, this is a 21 year old kid who didn't know anyone. I was like, dude, what is this? <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, this is cool. And, um, that was pretty much a lot of, that was that story. Wow. I learned a lot about fashion during then. Right. I would also walk down to the store called Barracuda, which is another really cool shop at the time. And they would carry like Stussy. I mean, dude, they had Final Home. They had all these things like Bape. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the fuck that shit was, but like, I was like, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And they'd have all the parties. Right. So I would hang out there a lot. And that was another intro to clothing. So from right. the art film side, it just moved into clothing just because it was like a place to walk and there's like hot girls there, right? So <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Yeah. On yeah. all the girls I dated at the time, I remember were like girls who were like store employees because that's the only place I could meet them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Like I probably dated like five American Apparel girls and like, you know, like a girl from Hollywood Trading Co. and like Ron Herman. And that was like the scene. Yeah, that's funny. So then... What led you to start Farm Tactics? Well, it was really Darren Romanelli who kind of was like, got me into that store to like work on that project. And his partner at the time was this guy, um, uh, Stephen Trussell. And he had a little project too that would sell the beams and stuff. And he was like, you should do your own clothing line. I'm like, okay. So I started printing t-shirts and then I started um, making like vintage military bags and basics and I don't know how it happened. It just happened. And then it kind of popped. And the only stores I remember, the only stores I sold to were stores I could walk to. So at the time (laughs) I sold to like Barracuda. I sold to, um, yes, there's some random stores like 10 over six, which is like a design store. I'd sell bags to. And then craft opened up and I sold to the store craft, which was Pete from union at the time. And 
that was kind of like it. And then the big change for me was when I asked Pete, where should I sell to? Cause I didn't know any of the shops and he was mm-hmm. like, yo, like, you know, you should sell to union made. So I remember I was visiting my family in the Bay area. I'm like, cool. I'm going to bring like samples. I mean, dude, yeah. like it was in a backpack, like it was just in a backpack I made all the stuff I had like crinkled up, like the most fucked up way. Like it was so insane. <laughs> and I walk in, I'm like, Hey, is Todd there? And I've got his name somehow and talk to him like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, Hey, like I have a brand called farm tactics. I'm selling to craft. Really? That's it. And he's like, Oh, cool. And he looks at it and he buys it. <laughs> and that was like the biggest account for us where they did crazy business with us. And we did like a very long lasting relationship, but it was really hectic. Like it was kind of crazy. Like how it worked is like looking back on it. I'm like, how would you buy this stuff from me? It was insane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. So what year would that have been? That would have been, man, I mean, it was at least seven, eight, maybe nine years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, that company was doing really well. I just had no idea what was happening. Like, I had no yeah. idea how to run a business. And, you know, I really started this company when my dad told me that, like, that he lost all his money because, like, there wasn't a sense of, like, backing or security for me. And I mean, at the time, like I was a punk kid, so I didn't really spend any money. But like to know that, like my dad at the time calls me, was like, hey, look at like the FBI is seizing all our finances because your, you know, your grandpa and your uncle like pretty much was like running a Ponzi scheme. And they basically took all our, our capital. And, you know, moving forward, I just want you to know, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, you're fine, but. I'm going to be fine too. Like I used to live out a car in Yosemite and like I can do it again because that was the happiest times and nothing's given. And when he said nothing's given and just be grateful for life, I was just like, yo, like I'm going to get my first credit card and I'm going to just like make a company. Yeah. And that was kind of the beginning, you know, maybe because I had, I felt like I had support. Like I always had a safety net. If I did, if shit did go wrong, my mindset didn't change when I just didn't have money. Right. So it's just yeah, like, yeah. cool, whatever, dude, like, yeah, <laughs> fuck it, you know? And that's when I started. Yeah. I feel like most people, if they would have got that news would have like tried to get the fastest nine to five they could have for like security, but you just went the opposite way. Yeah. I don't know, man. It was just like that fearlessness that I was just like, kind of like, I can't even believe I did that at the time. I mean, definitely through farm tactics, I was like flat broke. Like mm-hmm. I definitely went to like, Kankasore growing, like, you know what I mean? Like, definitely receding hairline. I just, like, I was just, like, stressed the fuck out. Like, but, and I'm so happy for it because it was, like, you know, I learned so much and it was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, I wonder, like, you know, growing up and being into stuff like skateboarding and punk music and having a band and stuff, how much does that sort of, like, DIY approach to just making stuff happen, like, come through i'm not sure people really know like all the labels in farm tactics were hand stamped by me and we would get orders from like orvis for like five thousand t-shirts and i'm like hand stamping each label because i thought that's the only way to do it and i mean we made these bags for levi's that were like my dad's old rock climbing ropes and Hmm. we'd make them out of all this old nylon cordura and the craziest thing is like no i didn't know where to cut them so i'd get the ropes i would hot knife each rope and then burn the edges with my stove and then tie them. And dude, they're placing orders of like 200 bags at a time. And I'm like cutting each rope. It was so hectic. Like the fumes were killing me. 
but I didn't <laughs> know anything else. I didn't know. Yeah. I always felt guilty to like, you know, have all these people do stuff for me. I just didn't know <laughs> what to do. You know what I mean? So like for me, like, yeah, I didn't know how to sew, but like any other thing I can do was like, I had to do it. So that DIY mentality was like very innate built into me. And also to the, like, you know, it's like the distro mentality of like going door to door and talking to people and just being like personal with them and like not knowing how the real industry works. That yeah. was kind of like, you know, all these show like capsule and all these project showroom, like trade shows and stuff. They always gave me free booths because they're like, cool. We like your brand. You're it's cool. And I'm like, Oh, cool. So I never had an, I never knew what was going on. Cause I never had to be organized. <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. I'll just go here and do it. Like, and I just do yeah. it the way I do it. And would you like ask people, you'd be like, Hey, like, this is what I'm doing. Can I do it better? Like, what should I do with this? Were you like seeking out any kind of like mentors or anything in that realm? Honestly, not really. I mean, my friend Rhino who worked at union would help me a little bit just like to like, like make stuff and drive me downtown. Mm. But like, dude, like you gotta think about like at this time, I probably lost so many friends. It's the fact that like <laughs> I would need a ride downtown. There's no Uber or I I'd taxi yeah. or like get a homie to drive me downtown to make clothing. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much just like on my own. Like I had no idea. Wow. It was pretty hectic. So what sort of like was the transition from farm tactics into brain dead? Well, I had another brand access that was more outdoor stuff at the time. Oh, okay. Japanese, these Japanese guys were really interested in helping me start a brand. And um, I, okay, so Farm Tech was happening. I got so flat broke that I was like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like, I have no money. And like, I had a girlfriend. I just felt bad. And um, basically, I did this pop-up at Space 1520, which is owned by Urban Outfitters. And they gave me a chance to do a pop-up there. And my concept was this idea of, doing a um store that's all outdoor themed like outdoor lifestyle and that was like i i was like okay cool i'm gonna carry gramichi no one had gramichi i'm gonna carry mm -hmm. like outlier i'm gonna carry you know all these brands fjall raven basically all these cool outdoor brands that like i thought was the next thing and carry farm tactics with it and it was awesome and it was it did really well and then one of the main um dudes at urban outfitters came and visited it and was like hey dude we're doing this project um that's kind of this exact thing and we want to see if you want to work on it and at the time I'm like dude can you just hire me like i'm broke <laughs> like for just like dude i need yeah. money so they hire me for their team to work on what was now without walls which was their outdoor concept that they were working on and at the same time, the Japanese wanted me to do this outdoor brand called Axis Folk Technology. And that was kind of like the linchpin of like, you know, getting more into menswear on a more abstract level, right? In a more like kind of like contemporary fashion, not just like what are basics and Americana stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was also working with Urban Outfitters on a more special projects way, like getting Mark McNary and Kazuki Kurashi to do like something for us or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. To line up those projects. I was like kind of like the whatever, the like liaison to make yeah. something cool, right? The special projects right. guy. Um, what happened was, so when I was at Urban Outfitters, I was pitching concepts for these pop-ups. And one of the concepts was, at the time, I was like, dude, what's up with your graphic t-shirts? Like, they suck. I'm like, you have like a cat <laughs> with laser beam, you got like a Sriracha t-shirt. <laughs> And it's like, this is like big business. Like, I don't know why you keep on caring about like 
carrying Mon Italy or like some really cool brand, like the kids don't get that. Like, how do you resonate with kids? Because you got to realize at this time, they didn't really have streetwear brands. They they were just right. like trying to follow like contemporary menswear or whatever it was, right? Graphic t-shirts were not cool. Mm-hmm. And um, I basically pitched this idea that I'm like, look it, all there's so many cool graphic t-shirts just online. Like, you know, you find these like little things where it's just like, a brand that's not even a brand it's like an artist and my friend bought me a t-shirt that was a patagonia hellraiser graphic so it's hellraiser over patagonia logo and i was like this is like the coolest thing i've ever seen and like no one was wearing graphic tees i was like dude like this is the one graphic t-shirt i'll wear and i would see like these other t-shirts by this brand called african apparel and they would make like i think they had like was it them yeah, they were making some weird t-shirts and then Turbo Island, which made like Arthur Russell t-shirts. I'm like, who's making Arthur Russell t-shirts? Sick. And I was like, all these people are like representing all these concepts, but there is no brand. So it's like this internet concept of like open source, like they're bootlegs, right? Right. And I love this idea of bootlegs and the idea like that design was more from cultural context, like making an Arthur Russell t-shirt, buying that not because it's fashion, but because it represented something. Mm-hmm. And then I pitched this idea of like this concept called open source, which was focused with like people like Perks and Mini. Like I had Jeremy Dean, I had Gaseous, I had all these people that were kind of like the forefront of this post internet world. Mm-hmm. And the CEO loved it. He's like, cool, we're down. He gives me a budget where I'm like, create all the relationships. And then the CEO's wife, Meg Hain, was like, I don't understand this project. We're canceling it. <laughs> and i'm like dude fuck like i'm just like i committed to all these people like this is the urban outfitters dilemma yeah. right it's like you know you want to be authentic and then you do something like this and you cancel it and then i have to be the one to have a conversation with these people yeah and i've been there during, yeah during this time <laughs> basically a little before this that t-shirt with the patagonia i'm trying to figure out who's making this and then my friend's like well i bought it on this Flickr account by this artist rat brain and I'm like, what the hell is that? And <laughs> he had a blog called The Heavy Mental with Todd Jordan. And his name was Ed Davis. And I'm like, okay, like I'm going to just like email him. And I email him and he just signs Rat Brain. I'm like, hey, this is Kyle. Like, you know, I work for Urban Outfitters. Like, I would love to do this project with you. He researches me. And then he's like, oh, you do Access Folk Technology. That's my favorite brand. I'm down. Let's do this. Let's start a brand together. It's called, and then we'll do it with you, Tim Head, and Kelly DeWitt. And I'm like, cool, this sounds great. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, let's do it. And then it was very like, you know, like kind of like punky mentality, just like, fuck it, let's go. And this supposed to be for Brain Dead. So we had all these people like for Brain Dead. I mean, if they knew like Callie and like all these guys were down at the time, like <laughs> it would be a different story. But like wow. at that time, you know, it was just like a zine guy. He was doing WSSF or whatever. And we started making all these graphics and when they canceled it, I was like, dude, I can't let these people down. Like there's too much thing. So I was like, fuck it. We're going to do the opposite. I'm going to sell it to the most expensive stores. I'm going to sell it to the stores where access was selling to and all this, you know, and whoever I could. Mm -hmm. So the first people I approached was beams, Mohawk general store and like, you know, the need supplies unions and all these stores and just being like, Hey, I had relationships with them. Let's do this. And the concept about it was like, let's do art shows for all the drops. So basically the first thing I did was curate a blanket art show of all these artists and make digital blankets. And then we'd launch it at Mohawk. 
And then Capsule Checho had me curate a section under Brain Dead and is all my African movie posters and selling graphic t-shirts from all these artists that I committed to and ceramics and wood sculptures and just like all these things like hand beaded jewelry. And Angelo from Nepenthes saw it and was like, dude, like this is sick. We want you to do a show, a brain dead show at Nepenthes. And I'm like, cool. I'm super down. So we did the African movie poster show at Nepenthes. And then we did a brain dead Nepenthes thing. Like first thing we did. Wow. And then we did an art show at, for the book fair, we did something at Kinfolk. So all of it just launched with this concept of just like, dude, like how do we bring this idea of culture rather than fashion at this point? Like, mm-hmm. I love this idea. Like, Hey, look at, we're going to put in these arches and people buy t-shirts that represent this crew of people who are mm-hmm. doing this stuff and curating things. Right. It's like bands, right? Like you buy merch from a band cause you want to support that musician, but why couldn't clothing be like that? Right. And that was the beginning of it. And you know, obviously Cali became super big and busy. And then, you know, me and Ed just were just like cranking workout consistently. Um, and that, that was kind of the spearhead dude. Like, wow. Was that mentality? Like kind of like make showcase a bigger picture of art, design, music, culture, and then make product to survive hypothetically. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. to fund it, you know? Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's super interesting, like how that all came together and that sort of like patchwork that sort of accidentally created brain dead in a way. Was there a certain point where you're like, okay, we're going to like really make this like a brand and, you know, create what exists now, or was it just an evolution over time? I mean, at the time, I think, you know, like, well, the urban Alphers thing was this idea, like, you know, like, how do you do something right and authentic? That was always my thing. It was like, how do you do it the right way? Because that felt so unauthentic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what they did to me. So like yeah. at that time, like I was just kind of like, okay, look, this is more of a collective thing. We're not going to do seasons even. We're just going to drop things when we can. And it was just funding itself. We were doing a lot of freelance work and like I was consulting for a lot of companies. So like money wasn't really a problem, you know what I mean? So I didn't really have to mm-hmm. make it like an official brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I had other people helping us in the beginning. Um, you know, my friend Israel who works at Stussy and mm-hmm. like other dudes because, you know, they're helping me with manufacturing. And, um, you know, it was really cool. Like we were just having a good time. And, you know, honestly, Neek from Antisocial, like we we're, he was one of my best friends at the time. And we almost start, we started at the exact same time. Like the first parties were branded Antisocial Social Club parties. Huh. And it was really funny. I remember he pulled out the first dad cap and I was just like, dude, these hats suck. Like I like this. Is, <laughs> I hate the way this hat looks. Like it's so cheap and whack. And we thought we were so much cool because we were using fair ends hats. We're like, no, this is like way cooler. And we just make fun of him. Like, oh, he sold out of these hats, but he's not wholesaling like us. Like he's not even close to what we're making. And I just remember it's like a battle. Of these two is the same mentality. Like just release things, right? Like just yeah. do these drops. Don't build a brand. Let's just do things. Mm-hmm. And I think the brand, like as a clothing brand, started happening probably you know, only in the last three years, I mean, probably been around for five, but yeah. before that, it's just like, let's just drop things when we want it and drop whatever is more of like this visionaire magazine kind of edition yeah. concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, so now if you like, if somebody goes to look at the brand, I mean, they're going to see like finger skateboards, puzzles, uh, coffee, 
t-shirts, obviously a full clothing line. You just, you guys recently did a big collaboration with North North Face, which I imagine might have like more coming. I mean, it's APC, like the, there's this kind of like DIY punk feel with like sort of a California infused vibe. Like there's, you know, sort of a hippie aesthetic to it as well. You know, it feels like a, like, it feels like you in terms of when you're talking about all the interests you have and it kind of comes through this like filter and, and makes sense when on paper it shouldn't make sense. Well, I mean, the main thing that's what we look to do is like, I look at a brand like a person, right? It's not a singular thing. Like, you know, I'm not criticizing other brands, but I think a lot of times people try to fit in a mold of what a product should be or like a brand should do or make, right? And mm-hmm. to me, it's like, no, it's a lifestyle. It's like, if you, if I met someone and I'm like, what are you interested in? And they're like, punk and skating. And that's like all they talk <laughs> about. I'm like, okay, you're cool. But like, like what movies? I don't watch movies. I don't want to talk about movies. I just want to talk about punk and skating. And like, I want yeah. to look like this and I'm wearing like my Thrasher t-shirt and like, cool dude. Like next, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the people I'm really interested in are people who are like, I can talk about food. I can talk about film i could talk about art culture i mean dude inventory magazine was like cool because it was like you talked about ceramics then you could talk about fashion then you could talk about like i don't know like a scientist it doesn't even matter it's just like it's about a complete lifestyle right and like for mm-hmm. me it's like dude like i want to talk about grindcore music but then wouldn't it be cool to also talk about stained glass like i love both yeah. and the juxtapose the juxtaposition of it is to me like the beauty of it, right? Because it mm-hmm. keeps people on their their toes. Like, yeah. I don't want to just make t-shirts because that's not who I am. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to yeah. make everything. And like, it doesn't, you know, I'm going to make clothing the best I can make clothing. But mm-hmm. that's not saying it's a clothing brand because I want to make a food product just as much, just as good as I can because that's just as important. Like, maybe yeah. down the line, we'll just be making films and then we'll have a clothing line. But that's the beauty of it because the whole thing is like a garden. Like I wouldn't stop watering the tomatoes to focus on my peppers or something. Like I want the whole garden to be bountiful and then I want to make a complete garden. Right. And that's the focus of us. And the more I like learn about, let's say paintballing, I want to make a paintball gun. I want to work with the best company to do that. And I don't care if you're really into that now, maybe you learn about it. You know what I mean? Like I started (laughs) Like, it's funny because to that point, like, I really got obsessed with, like, this idea of, like, you know, the finger skateboard and, like, okay, like, finger skateboards. Like, I got really nervous because I was, like, I want to work with the best company who do does this because it's a, such a subculture, but they're $120. Like, I'm, like, who's going <laughs> to yeah. buy that, right? And I got nervous because, like, that's not me, but I love the idea of learning from them and learning that there's this culture and, like, working with the best company, these hands creating the boards i'm like dude this is like working with a sculptor like cool like we're going to make 10 of these and then i'm like fuck it like let's make 50 edition and he's like okay and then dude i mean the people who finger skateboard they all bought them because that's the norm they're like yeah this is what we buy like i'm like cool like we have to do it the exact way it's not just like oh let's make a finger skateboard merch it's like yeah we can do like a cheap one but it's like it has to be like doing the research and focus and learning and being humbled by like the people who know more than me, like everything I do, there's someone who definitely knows a million times more. And I look up to those people 
just like when yeah. I was a kid, like I wasn't the know-it-all. I just knew a lot about everything, but everyone, there's definitely like a sensei to everything yeah. I did. You know what I mean? Yeah, fully. I mean, I think when we, when I was doing inventory magazine, it was very much like, you know, we would make products with, with those people, but also just getting a chance to go sit in their office and dig around and ask them questions. It was like, these were masters of their crafts, whether it was, you know, photography or art or clothing or shoes or, you know, whatever it was, jewelry. And and now it's a similar approach really that I, you know, that made me want to do into the well is like, it's just a different sort of genre area of exploring, but it's still like, you know, gathering this knowledge and wisdom from these people that have been doing it for years and years and kind of distilling it into our own version of it or our own like mix of it. Well, the thing I really like about what you've been doing, especially in the fitness side, is you're bringing a taste to something that really hasn't had taste ever. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, sport, when you think of sport, the only sport that really has had taste to me is like a basketball, you know, basketball pretty much, or like even soccer, but like the Jordan transcended, right? You know what I mean? Into a world. I mean, skateboarding is initially a lifestyle sport, but like what you've done is kind of like you're bringing this idea of wellness and fitness into this idea in a way more like headier space which i really admire and i think is really important because so many people are just such like you know they want to be cool dress cool or do all this stuff but like what's your lifestyle like that's the most important yeah. thing is people don't realize fashion's cool and the concept of fashion as art is cool but mm-hmm. just consuming product like you yeah. have to have something more because that's just a very that's that's an i'd say that's like a that's like switching a a, a it's like putting a sticker on your, you know, your skateboard. Like then yeah. you got to ride the skateboard or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I love product and like art and all these things, film, but it was like, oh, I've actually been neglecting this whole other part of life, right? Like how am I going to nurture my own self, grow my awareness, consciousness, things like that. Um, you know, you mentioned paintball and and like rock climbing. I wonder how those like, you know, areas of like being outside exercising movement like sport have sort of influenced what you do in a brand and also how it like helps you keep you keep you balanced in your life yeah i mean dude honestly like i call it california games like i'm obsessed with just like everything we do me and my you know my closest friends are like guys like i climb with or do these activities with right like um basically you know I met a lot of my friends skateboarding here again recently. Like it was, I was started skateboarding with Jeff McFredridge, the artist and the owner of virtual normal Charlie. And we were outside forage in silver Lake and we saw the curb and I'm like, shit, like we should just start slapping this curb. So we started going early in the morning before we started working and just skating there. And from there I broke my hands, not from skating, but like I had my hand broken and I was really nervous that like, I wouldn't be able to use it cause I had bolts in it. So I I'm like, dude, what if I couldn't climb again? And at the time I wasn't climbing. I'm like, but what if I couldn't? So then mm-hmm. I remember I bought new shoes and I went to the climbing gym and realized I could climb and then I got addicted. I'm like, Oh my God, like I still can climb. And that clicked in my head that shit. Like I gotta be so grateful that I'm, I had this healthy body. Cause for a second, when I couldn't use my hand, I actually mm-hmm. knew what it was like to have limitations. Yeah. And I got so excited. I was diehard. And my friend Tucker and I would just go climbing all the time like i climb four times a week still i mean covid's hitting but before this i was climbing four times a week Mm -hmm. and then you know we'd still skate and then 
recently I just found paintballing again and I'm like obsessed. So I go now that's back open. So I go like twice a week on the weekends and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to do everything. I bought a mountain bike recently. Um, I even bought a pair of rollerblades cause I was like, dude, like I saw some like <laughs> weird video, of some guy rollerblading and I was like, damn, that shit's like the most underground shit. And to the point where we talk <laughs> about the monoculture stuff, it's like, yeah. I remember all the bladers were called fruit booters and gay. And I was just like, dude, like that's so anti skateboarding to me. Cause it's like, you guys were the losers and now you're calling <laughs> these guys losers. So then I don't know in my later yeah. adult life, I'm like, damn, like I'm going to start rollerblading. Cause I used to do it when I was a little kid, but now I want to do it now. Cause I kind of like that idea of like the juxtaposition of it. Just like, yeah. what if I got really good at rollerblading and then no <laughs> one, like the idea of like no one being down with that is like really enticing to me. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, that's cool to me. It's like just all the scene of this, like these dudes are just doing it for the fun. There's no money involved and there's no scene. There's no style. There's nothing. So, you know, I know from my own experience, if I was going to do that, and I got into rollerblading and I was like soaked on it. Then a few of my friends probably would be. And then I'd be like, okay, what rollerblading brand can I collab with and make? Like, <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. So basically like, I mean, the paintball stuff, that's like in the works. Like I'm working on that. The rollerblading thing's so funny, dude. Because like the craziest thing is that like I posted about it and like everyone, dude, the funniest part, all my skateboarding friends, so I skateboard were like, whoa, that's kind of fire. Like, <laughs> like my friend from Polar, who's a sales guy, was like, yo, dude, like, that's pretty tight. Like, you know, you should do a collaboration on skates. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I should. And then, dude, like, the weirdest thing is, like, I get DMs being like, yo, like, I've been looking for new blades. I haven't played in, like, 20 years. <laughs> and then mad people would hit me up like, yo, I bought blades. <laughs> and I'm like, there this is crazy. Like, and I'm like, this is sick. And I'm like, I think it just opened up the world that people were like, they thought it was like they'd be judged or something. And then just because like, whatever, like I am just more public, I guess they like the idea of doing it. And like, I saw one kid who posted on like some sneaker thing I did for hypebeast and I go on his thing, dude, it was so funny. He was rollerblading. He's like, he's like a crazy rollerblader. And then he does, he's like a competitive paintballer too. Oh, wow. And I lost my mind. So I'm like, dude, that's so like, who is this? Like, what is that genre of people? Cause these are things that are just not like conventionally like, Oh yeah. Like you might skateboard and then you might be into like this. Yeah. Right. That was just yeah. so obscure to me. That I was like, dude, like that's so cool that there's like yeah. kids just doing their weird little things. And like, that just gave me hope, like experimenting in that kind of world, like really gave me hope in that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. That there is like, people who are just kind of doing again talking about the monoculture just going the left field and doing whatever it is yeah that's cool um i'm kind of interested about like paintballing and like you know i've maybe gone like twice but not in the last 15 years at least like what is that experience like because it's you know you're i assume you're either outsider or you're in a building it's like pretty like holistic and like integrative in terms of like your mind, your focus, your body, your awareness. Like there's a lot going on. I would compare it to like martial arts or like mixed martial arts where, and I think that goes hand in hand with a lot of the people do it. Like (laughs) Hawaiian, like bro, you know, like, like Hawaiian barbecue mixed martial arts. But like, I think the vibe, what I really love about it is that it's always a different experience, right? Like, there's elements to it where it's like when you go out there 
people are shooting things at you like these balls and your adrenaline and intensity of having to be focused and not be able to think about anything else mm-hmm. like skateboarding it's like or whatever it is you could be like oh i'm gonna get hurt or i'm gonna like yeah. feel this right paintball like you know you're gonna get hurt but you're not gonna get maybe injured right like, you're not gonna get like a concussion but the thing about it is the fact of like it's really your own desire to do what you need to do right so like you can run up and bunker someone and then you could have fear of like getting hit but if you run up like 10 foot like five feet away and just like shoot someone and bunker them and hit them you're going to have a story to think about for months right you're (laughs) like this is amazing and that really builds your mental strength right and like i think there's a lot of strategy and this idea of like your movement and like how you're moving and like that I'm really obsessed with. It's more like a climbing kind of mentality of like, like your body movement, the way you like your angles and being hyper aware of your like surroundings. Yeah. And then there's the element of like the guns itself, right? It's like cars or motorcycles. Like you can shoot like a Ferrari, but there's so many genres of like, you know, these mechanical guns that are like hot rods and like learning the narrative of that, which builds into like our innate, like I'd say nerd, you know, whatever, our nerd consumer, you know, object thing where like, whoa, this gun was made like in 97. I need this. Like, you know, like (laughs) I bought like 10 guns in the last two months during COVID just because I'm like learning about these things. Yeah. And like, I'm just obsessed. Like I, I love everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. One thing, one thing that I've always like admired and thought was cool about skateboarding is you kind of like have to learn, you don't have to, but you learn to like look at your environment in a different way, right? Like you're looking at ledges and stairs and rails and like all of these gaps and like you learn to like look at your environment in a different way and sort of like rock climbing probably induces a similar thing. And like one of my favorite artists is Robert Irwin. And uh, like there's a book, I think it's behind me called... Uh, I can't, it's like a confusing name, but like his whole like sort of environmental art is sort of meant to like change the way that you look at your environment and start to like notice light in a way you didn't notice before space and things like that. And I feel like all of those just like not only sort of, you know, make us better or whatever the thing is we're doing, but it can like enhance the richness of what's going on, sort of like increasing that awareness of just the texture of life. I totally agree with you, man. I mean, it's climbing, especially it's like when you look at something and you see a root or a problem, it's really incredible to look at something so mundane as a rock and to figure out like the the act of just trying to move on it. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird, like it almost seems so boring when you look at it like, oh, am I just like climbing a rock? But the difficulty <laughs> in like figuring out like movements to do that, what a beautiful thing, right? The more simple, the mm-hmm. better, right? And like, again, it goes you know, with skateboarding or if you're rollerblading, whatever, it's like, yeah. what can I do and how do I be creative on this thing? Right. Yeah. This thing that people don't really care about or don't really think about it. And I think I've always been really obsessed with like, I would say like, how would I say, uh, folk art or things that kind of seem like different where you're like, Oh, you could look at something and it might not seem refined or finished mm. or even like, looking at fucked up architecture, like looking at like third world countries, like the way we're building huts out of like water bottles or soda cans. It's like, I'm really obsessed with that. Cause it's like looking at things that maybe people don't conceptually think about, but they, mm-hmm. they just do it inherently. 
And to the point, yeah. like Robert Irwin's an amazing artist. I love him. But like I've actually been less inclined in contemporary art because I almost feel like nowadays contemporary art, they're so focused on just like what it is to be an intellectual or yeah. the idea of what sells, right? But yeah. imagine like the outsider artists or like people who are just building stuff, you know, in tribes or whatever. It's like there is no sense of aesthetic. Aesthetic comes from just like inherently building something that they need. Yeah, it's born out of function more so. Yeah, function and just like, I mean, I have the like I collect those like Zuni tune rings of like Mickey Mouse and all these things from like the Zuni tribe. And they're not making it because they think it's like conceptual art. They're making it to sell to like foreigners or tourists who are like, oh, I like Disney. Like, I'm going to buy this. But that's not what they want, which is funny because yeah. at the same time, it's like that that ridiculous like interaction of like, you know, the tourist just wants like a turquoise thing that makes them feel like they interacted with the Native American culture. But yeah. you know, these guys think that they want Mickey Mouse or something. But then that's the beauty of this like weird miscommunication. Yeah. Juxtaposition that I'm obsessed with. Right. Right. And that's like, the, that's like the like Ghana movie posters and how fucked up they are and like weird and like all this stuff I think is incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. Like a different perspective in life is to me the most attractive thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It w- I mean, when you were talking about like looking at a rock and they're like, okay, how can I get creative on this like seemingly boring thing? It definitely made me think like, okay, well, you're doing that with t-shirts and hats too, right? Yeah, like, totally. And I feel like you guys, like, you guys have really developed like a pretty unique brand language through the visuals and graphics and stuff like that, like getting creative on these, you know, sort of boring garments that we've seen a million times, but trying to, but you're creating something new out of that. Yeah. I mean, I remember when, you know, even years back, they're like, Oh, who needs another t-shirt or whatever. And my whole thing was always like, it's not about the item. It's the gesture that you make on the item. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It, It depends what you're doing. I mean, look at like, I try not to just make a bunch of logo stuff, but like I realize, like in certain things, that's the entry into making something like enamel cup. Like these are made with a logo because that's what people want. But then say you're buying this like European enamel cup. You know what mm. I mean? Like the beauty is also the colors and whatever. Right. And that's what we always look at. It's like, okay, from there, what, what's the next thing we do? How do we do this with mm. no logo? Right. How, yeah. But the logo first is like, people want to support the bigger concepts. Yeah. And then we can eventually make just regular things like ceramics or whatever that doesn't need a graphic. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, that that's happened in our cut and sew now where people don't need a graphic on cut and sew, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think we're almost to a point where it's like, okay, like what's the furniture? Why aren't we just harboring different contemporary young furniture designers to make stuff for us that we sell, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's our next phase, right? And then, right. you know, another thing we're working on is like, we're working on short films. Like during the quarantine, I was like, dude, let's commission all these animators just to make films. Like it doesn't have to do anything with brain dead. Just, we should just release media. Right. And start branded studios as like an animation studio. And we started doing it. I brought it up to my friend and he was like, Hey, I work for illumination. The guys who do the minions, we want to fund it. So basically wow. there we're partnering with them and releasing like, experimental independent animations and to me it was like this idea like wow like all branded is is just like our taste and our interests so Mm -hmm. moving forward 
why wouldn't we just make animations? It's you know, we just put branded studios in the front, like it's A twenty four or Paramount or yeah. whatever. And then <laughs> let these artists just like we support artists, we've been doing it, and why don't we just do it for film? You know? Yeah. So everything just goes full circle where we just all just look at our perspective, like you're saying, if it's a rock or whatever, the mundane thing, it's like, what's our perspective on anything? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like our focus. Yeah. So um, with regards to that, I mean, like when I do a creative project, I love to try and approach it like from as much of a 360 degree, like holistic angle as possible. And, you know, something where I felt like you guys got to execute on that from what I saw was the North Face project from garments obviously but also then like the films you made the installations you did the like photos you know for somebody to be able to see it hear it listen to it touch it actually enter into it you know all that stuff like how important and how rewarding is that kind of like process i mean dude that's the best thing in the world like honestly that's all i care about is like you know the sales are cool but you don't live with the sales, like success like that. To me, it's like the making of it and seeing it come to life is it's spiritual. You know what I mean? It's like really like the God factor of like, I always say it's like, what's the essence of all the things you do? Like for me, it's like, okay, with North Face, I won't do anything. I, I, you know, sometimes I like wait till the last minute because like it has to be an idea that gets me really psyched. Like we could just do a lookbook, we could just do whatever, but it has to be on point. Like it could have been really easy to shooting some dudes on like some yeah. white backdrop, but like we had to make this like huge production because it's like, that's <laughs> what I want. Like I need yeah. that. Like everyone does, un- you know, outdoor urban things. But to me, it was like, I need Ashima Shirashi, who's my favorite climb in the world. And I need to shoot it in this like film set. And that's my dream. And, you know, I'm going to have, you know, a band perform it. We're going to do it at Dover, do this big build out and juxtapose all these things together. And um, it was the most ideal situation. Like, I can't stress that enough. And like, you know, North Face is really open. Like, we were the first North American collaboration that wasn't like a store. Like, you know, Supreme's considered Mm -hmm. SMU, right? And like Urban Outfitters. But like, we're the first brand besides Junia Hike to do something like this. So I think they were really receptive and open to us kind of just doing it because there was no, there's no template. You know what I mean? It's right. just like, what are we doing? Like, cool. And man, they were so cool to work with on this. And I can't come, I can't think of enough. And you know, the main thing for me was like, I climbed. So it was just like that collaboration was probably one of the most meaningful things to me because it's working with a company from Berkeley, you yeah. know, that has a lot of the DNA of where I come from. You know what I mean? So I, that was the top thing for me for sure. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think it turned out awesome. Thanks man. That means a lot. Um, so also in the brand, like, you know, there's a lot of like words in some of the graphics, like consciousness and brainwave training, expansion, levels of consciousness, stuff like that. Um, you know, I know some of it can be like a play on the brain dead, you know, branding, but how much of that is stuff that you've sort of explored yourself or like in mindfulness practices as well? I mean, dude, all of it's conceptual, right? Like we're obsessed with concept and we're obsessed with this idea of like, I don't want to say Apple, think differently. But, um, I, you know, like, it's all about this idea of like a psychedelic journey. Like I don't take psychedelics, but like everything I do has that mindset of just like experiencing something at a different level. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's super important to me. Um, and I, 
you know, I, everything we want to make, even like, you know, it, you know, mind expansion, whatever, like even the objects we make, we want people to like, whoa, I didn't know that was doable. Or like, why would they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, these questions are like so important to me. Right. Um, to, ex- to express. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like this idea is like, you know, since, you know, when I was a kid, like seeing Mike Patton doing experimental music, it's like, what's the future of hardcore? It was noise. It's like all these things, like that's heavy. So it's like this idea of mind expansion of like what is capability or what's doable, right? Mm-hmm. And then saying that in like a visual language or making something psychedelic. Yeah. So have you ever done any psychedelics? Uh, I took mushrooms once, but very little at Disneyland. But I don't know, man. I always <laughs> feel like I'm going to like, kind of fuck up the wiring of my situation rather than like expand it. I don't know why, but I always feel like if it ain't broken, don't fix it, you know? But I, I totally respect like, you know, the Terrence McKenna's I've read a lot of his books and I read a lot of, you know, like Paul Stamets stuff. And I really mm-hmm. respect psychedelic uh, journeys and like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's like, it's a different thing. You know I mean? It's like, it's medicine. It's like taking Tylenol, mm-hmm. you know, in the fact that like, I don't have anything against that. It's more just like, I was like, the reason why I straighted was more because I felt like people were like numbing themselves away from realities and tastes. And then, um, I was more about like, Oh no, taking it face forward. Right. Like, like pushing it, like making it, um, how do I say it? Like understanding the world, not trying to numb it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting that you kind of seem to have like a little bit of fear around that because you're pretty like courageous in a lot of your other uh, endeavors and creativity and stuff. I do find, I do feel like there's a huge potential for like further creative development with psychedelics, especially like a mushroom trip, like, you know, at home. I'm open to it. I'm definitely open (laughs) to it, man. Like I've I've been trying to go around to it. I'm not talking about mess with like the artificial stuff, but like Maybe I'll break the edge for a little, you know, like a little mind expansion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm also curious, you know, like culturally, you know, like you said, your dad is Chinese and I'm not sure what your mom's background is, but is that sort of like American Chinese culture, something that you sort of keep close to mind or heart in terms of like, you know, even just like the foods you make or the practices you have at home or or maybe even in the brand well the craziest thing is um being some gener- sixth generation american we were the first one of the first chinese in san antonio so we grew like we had a grocery store and all this stuff so i think a lot of us was like i just built american right like i don't i never really like we never really grew up with like asian cultural values like we ate asian food like really cool chinese food you know like that was probably the most Chinese we got, you know, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really raised in a typical sense of Chinese American, you know, right. um, that said, I didn't really fit in with the Chinese Americans, right? Like, you know, I never really dated Chinese girls because they thought I was too like white and like, you know what I mean? Like being Asian, white people didn't really understand me either. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. fully because I had like all the Chinese interests in my food tastes and whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of just like, made me a weird outlier just being very American, which is kind of weird. So yeah, I never really associated to the Chinese element of my lifestyle because I also, my stepmom and stepdad were Japanese. So I had a lot of Japanese culture into me too. Like we would go to like the Buddhist temple 
we'd go to, you know, different festivals, you know, we, we would eat all that food as well. And we would do very Japanese things. So yeah, that's interesting. It was really cool. I mean, I would say it's like a very barrier upbringing. There's just like every culture, like, right. I probably knew just as much as that as like Indian culture, <laughs> like, right. Or something like that. You know, we, we, we were very like experienced around all this stuff. You know what I mean? We yeah. loved it. So what do you, how do you feel when you go back to the Bay area now? Um, you know, it's funny. Cause I was just talking to someone at the dog park about that. Cause I was like kind of shitting on it, but like I was, Bay Area is like the most beautiful place to me and I think it's amazing and I think there's great people but I think the tech world personally like this is where I got in trouble with this guy it was like you know I just felt like the tech douchebags which there is a genre there's great tech people but I think there's definitely like too much capitalism running that city now you know what I mean people mm-hmm. you know like you go to a store and there's like a crowd a crowdsourcing store and you're like dude like <laughs> Like what happened to curation? I think the problem about this idea of like, what's the way we can use different technology to do things that are innately just human mm-hmm. is not interesting to me, right? Like it's like the human aspect's more interesting than the technology part, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like San Francisco misses out on the human aspect and focuses too much on the technology part and the, the money part nowadays, yeah. right? Maybe that's a better yeah. way of saying it. And I think that is something that I definitely feel when I'm up there where there's a soul missing from a place that had the most soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really scared when no one can afford to live there. And like, all it's going to be is like millionaires just like figuring out how to walk around with like, you know, some like drone filming them longboarding (laughs) on some like, like on some like Segway, you know, I don't know, like doing something yeah. crazy. <laughs> like, it's just not my vibe, whatever. If you're into it, it's cool. But like, it's just like, you know, like there's a rawness and a human aspect to Bay Area that was so important. Yeah. Almost too much, you know, too human sometimes. Like, yeah. crazy. But like, yeah, I miss that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that actually like is a perfect segue into, you know, something else I'd noticed on like some of the t-shirt graphics. There's like the idea of like a processed world or computers can't smile. And, you know, I like, you know, I'm curious, like, obviously the internet's an amazing tool for a lot of the research and stuff that that you do, be it like paintball guns or whatever. Um, But how, like, how do you like emphasize that like hands-on human touch component in in like your process yeah i mean you know it's crazy like to that point a lot of the things that ed and i think about are more like i mean look at my partners in australia so like we have to be via internet but we don't look at technology as like what makes us it's us who make us right like our relationship and these are tools to do things right just like mm-hmm. we have a tool we have a refrigerator to keep our food cold right mm-hmm. but we're not just talking about refrigerators like you know it's like you know <laughs> yeah. i mean everything like technology is such a weird thing because more people <laughs> care about new technology than like doing the beauty of yeah. a thing right and yeah. i think you know what when we say like you know technology can't smile is like this idea that it's like stop looking at technology as like the end result the end result should be like the interaction with real people right mm-hmm. and like that's the most important thing. Like, you know, I remember back in the day, people were like shitting on like the dating apps or whatever. And I'm like, that's not really a problem to me because it's like, 
if people are meeting via a tool, that's fine. Right. Right. Yeah. Like some people don't go to bars and some people are not going to meet people like, you know, they're going to find yeah. each other. The, the problem now is the fact that like, if people are not going anywhere and just like doing nothing, just, you know, like just sitting on Instagram and not doing anything with their significant other, therefore there's no conversation yeah. or whatever. Right. And it's yeah. also to me, the issue with technology is the fact of, how this data is being controlled where what's how is it affecting our mindset of curation Mm -hmm. doing these things that are human of us discovering part of human condition is discovering right like learning things for ourselves failing succeeding and i think the problem is the easier things the easier things become the more we forget how to flex our our minds to do stuff right like yeah. there's this um amazing amazing um ethnobotanist and um you know explorer and anthropologist named Wade Davis and I'm obsessed with him and he talks about the ethnosphere which is the sum of all parts of the world and the knowledge right and he just talks about a lot of like you know like how we called like the Amazonians primitive and we we called all the you know people like even like you know the ancient Hawaiian sailors like oh well they could get a GPS now just saying that our technology is so much better. But right. those guys, like these Hawaiians can sail across, you know, the ocean just by looking, like feeling the wind and seeing the stars, yeah. right? Why would you need this if it was inherently built into you? We don't need more things to teach us to do the things that we should have innately, right? Yeah. And like the Amazonian, like, oh, they have nothing. So they're not consuming anything. We're the ones who are stuck with, you know, like pollution and we're, we're destroying their you know, environment for our resources because we need more of mm-hmm. things to get us to be at their level, right? So I always look at like it's not about like the amount of tools; it's about finding the tools and then just like you know, like using it in the best way possible in that kind of mentality, right? Of technology, you know. Yeah. And I think there's different things, like you know, I think the main thing about like there's different languages, which I think when I talk about languages, I mean in like the way of like how we interact, right? Like there's different Mm -hmm. languages in the fact of like, and we look at technology as like the singular language of how we should run our lives and how we evolve as a society, right? Like that language of a uniform, like you need to be connected to this technology because that's our new universal language. And to me, it's like, who's deciding this, right? Like who's deciding what I need to be doing, right? In that form, yeah. you know? Yeah, sadly, it seems like huge capitalist uh, companies are deciding that. But yeah, like you're saying, like there's a, like a deeper innate wisdom within us when we can connect to ourselves and the you know environments we're in, the, the winds and the sun and the moon. And there's like so much magic in that. But we like have kind of lost that like patience and discipline to nurture those skills in a lot of ways. And it's also just like understanding what it is to be ignorant and it's fine. It's cool to not know. And like, you know, I think the more you learn from just like, you know, like it's like that DIY mentality of just like, dude, like how are things made? Like, how are these Mm -hmm. things being done? Who are these people doing these things? And, you know, the experimental or the artistic community was really spearheading it. But now you, you see it the most, like, all these artists and stuff, they just care about the quick, it's about the quick way. Like I get so many kids mm-hmm. emailing me like, how do I start a successful streetwear brand? 
And I'm just like, number one, don't call it streetwear and don't think about it as a <laughs> brand. Just make things you want. Like, yeah. just make stuff. Like, streetwear is just things that, like, clothing that you want to wear. And then it's a, usually based off a culture that you're part of already. So if you're not culturally associated to anything and you're just looking on Instagram of, like, things and seeing how it sells on, like, Hypebeast yeah. or whatever, or, like, reselling on, like, StockX, then you, you might as well just be a stockbroker or, like, you know, like, yeah. work in finance. Like, if you want to see money, like, there's other ways to make money. You know what I mean? And like money yeah. comes and success comes if you do stuff right. But mm-hmm. like, it's just funny when you see this thing and like money can't drive culture. Like culture yeah. leads to money if it's good. Yeah. Know, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, there are some brands out there that, you know, seem to make money that aren't necessarily driven by that sort of authentic passion. Does that sort of thing bug you at all and while well, you're doing your thing or do you just kind of leave it to the side? It totally doesn't bug me because to me, it's again, it's like its own language, right? Like I think there's mm-hmm. a language. If you ask me if it's good, I it's no, like it's not good art. It's not mm-hmm. good design, but I think it's just what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, here's a great example. Like to me, it's like, you know, graffiti is, you know, to me, I love graffiti. I love old graffiti. I love like, like early Barry McGee, I love Espo and all this stuff. And then when street art, street art hit, it was just like, everything was good to go. It was just like, oh, let's just like poster anything. And this idea of like, you're not even having to like do graffiti. You could just print out a poster and put it on the wall. And then it's the point where like, it wasn't even just messages like Banksy or like Shepard Fairey. It was just like random shit, like a cat. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> this just means nothing. It's just like to be doing things. And to me, it was just like, dude, like emulation of a concept that meant something is not the same, right? It's just mm-hmm. like making a graphic t-shirt isn't the thing. It's the idea on that t-shirt that makes the thing, right? Or yeah. any product. And even if it's a logo, like you look at the best logos, they represent something, mm-hmm. not that it's a cool looking logo, right? Yeah, that's just like the side effect of it meaning something. Exactly. It's the, you know, it's the eye can, it's the connection, right? And mm-hmm. that's the thing is just like, nowadays, it's like, there's too many things where it's like, oh, like, you know, like a lot of the taste like is so monoculture and the fact that like, everything is so blended together, right? Like, you know, like, at the time, I would say when I was a kid, it was like, okay, we're listening to experimental music, we're listening to experimental hip hop. Maybe you're into backpack hip hop. Crunk came out. It was kind of interesting what Lil John was doing. It was so mainstream, but you know, it was kind of cool to say, like, oh yeah, I'm down with like E40 and Hyphy and like some crunk shit was cool, but like Hyphy was the first thing that was like, it was cool for the heads to listen to a little bit. Like, oh sick. Okay, it's underground, but still dancier. And then then came in like Drake. Drake came in and it seemed experimental. And you're like, whoa, like. And then you're like, yo, like, I'm listening to Drake, right? Like, <laughs> Drake's cool, but that's in my, the, that's just one of the wheelbase. And it was more like a talking yeah. point. Like, oh, yeah, I'm also down with Drake. And that was almost like subversive to say you like Drake. Yeah. Now, it's like, even my friends, it's like, all they listen to is Drake. Or like, they only <laughs> listen to like mainstream hip hop shit. Or like, this one sound. I'm like, and they forgot about all the experimentation of music they're into. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what happened? And then I was like, okay, maybe that's just me and like, whatever. But then you look on like Netflix, 
we only watch all the same movies. Like we only know, like we all have the same cultural context. So no one's learning anything from anyone else. It's just like, oh, did you watch Tiger King? Cool. Yeah. What's the talking point? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, dude, like I just watched this crazy Czechoslovakian film. Check it out. Where do you have to find it? We, like, let's go to this movie store and find this thing or here it is. And then you created a culture around that. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. It just feels like people are way more down to be numbed out by things yeah. where it's like, what's the future of like thought provo- provocative ideas. So a lot of the things I thought about was like, even with our clothing line, like we make products and then maybe we want to release music. Like, so we started pressing vinyl and the vinyl was hard to sell at like record stores. Cause like, you know, it's in the mix of all of these records, but what we realized was that if we made tapes of these musicians that we liked made a t-shirt and the tape comes with the t-shirt, we're giving all these people like content and music that mm-hmm. really mattered to us. So maybe you're a kid and you like the graphic t-shirt and it's by, let's say Tetsunori who's up, up this noise band from Japan. You get a cassette with your t-shirt then you're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh, then you kind of feel like I need to be part of this because like, I guess this is cool because this brand I like thinks it's cool. So then yeah. you buy a tape player and then you're exposed to cassettes and then you're exposed to this music and then you're like, oh, whoa, this is insane. And then you begin culture, right? Then you enter the yeah. world of like where the context is. So I almost feel like this culture now you have to reverse engineer it where it's like, yeah, when you have the Travis Scott's of the world's wearing like punk shirts or whatever and maybe not listening to it, maybe that's fine and maybe that's cool. But maybe our, our, um, responsibility is to figure out ways to reverse engineer if you like this look then you get this content right yeah and then how do we as a brand our responsibility is to give content in a way that's easy for them to digest and that's where it's like oh you like brain dead maybe you like jam and maybe you don't know what squirrel is and maybe you eat like trash and you just eat chicken nuggets but (laughs) guess what you bought this jam because you're like oh it's brain dead right or like you know, that's kind of our way of thinking. Like maybe you want nice ceramic. So you buy the branded hand stamp ceramic, and then you start learning about all the crazy ceramics in the world. And then you can buy that. Right. So that's kind of our perspective was like reverse engineering the cultural way of doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. I mean, it's, it's like buying something and getting a, a little bag of seeds or something. And then like, it's up to you to do something with it. But and I do find like people need, guidance with that like if you just grow up in a suburban neighborhood and nobody shows you anything else you know outside of your frame of reference it's hard to be like maybe i'm just gonna randomly look for this thing i don't know exists right like you need like a person to show you something or like your parent or your older sibling and so you know it's cool that what you guys are doing can sort of play that role in terms of you know just opening broadening people's horizon I mean, that's the goal for sure. And I think, you know, that's the craziest thing, dude, is like with the internet, we have so much access, right? To everything, mm-hmm. every knowledge. And it's like, it's mind blowing because if you think of the internet, not as like just technology, it's literally the most psychedelic experience. Like it's basically saying, I'm telepathing, seeing you right now. Like I'm not next to you, but I can see you. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's psychedelic. That's future, right? I mean, that's like some spiritual thing, but it's like, I can access any idea and Google it and then find the history of something and learn about it. But why at this moment, why are kids or anyone 
more interested in discovering things more. That's mm-hmm. what that's why I mean. I have no answer for that. I'm just yeah. so curious by that because it's like, what happened? Like, why was when yeah. it was even harder for someone like in Canada or you know where I was? Why were we more searching out like yeah. this thing? Was it because it was harder? You know what I mean? Was it because the outlier culture was innate built into us, just like the way the Amazonians had to figure out ways of surviving? You mm-hmm. know, is it that we're getting lazier? Is the monoculture taking over us where it's just way easier to just like, you know, live our life s- simple? I don't yeah. know. You know? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of those things. Like, you know, when it, when there was less technology, we did have to work harder to find stuff and like follow those threads. And you just didn't know where it was going to go and who you're going to meet at the end of it. But then also like in our education system and our society, people aren't really taught to think for themselves. So if you're not, you know, growing up and being like, I'm going to listen to this music, even though nobody else is, because I think it's cool, or I'm going to wear these shoes, even though people are going to clown me for them, then I'm just going to do it, you know? And it's like, okay, well, I'm thinking for myself. I mean, dude, on that note, in high school, basically my history teacher was like a super left-wing Berkeley dude, right? Like arrested in like, you know, like the crazy protests and whatever. So I used to punk him and write these super conservative papers because <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. Like I was like, thought it was like subversive order, like being a jackass kid. But the thing about him is that his wife was the head of the Berkeley film department. So he was like heady, right? Like, like I would mm. talk to him like, yo, what do you know about Stan Brackage? Like the experimental <laughs> film guy. And he was just like, Stan Brackage used to stay at my house. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm just like this guy, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> like, but he, like, I flunked out of that school. Like, Dude, I had like a D minus because he hated the shit I used to talk about. Like he would just like punk me. And the last I remember before I left, before I left um, to LA, I decided like, look at I'm gonna flunk out of, I'm gonna flunk the last year that year of high school. I'm gonna take independent study for my. Um, I'm gonna have to redo history for summer, right? And I didn't go to the finals. Next thing I know, he passes me. And he gives me an A plus on the final, which I didn't even go to. And he writes on the paper, on the note, good luck in LA making films. <laughs> because wow. at the end of the day, it was just like this idea that it was just like, he knew that I was dedicated to one thing and that I was just like kind of trying to think for myself and just like, he knew I was fucking with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. He knew that this is dumb, but like he just, he also didn't want me to think that I was like being serious about like all these conservative things. But he knew at the end of the day, if I, like, I'm not even trying to be here, yeah. that I'm just focused on my thing. And he doesn't want to stop me from like That's cool. my dream, you know? That's cool. Um, so I guess the last note I just wanted to touch on was, you know, you're able to sort of introduce people to lots of different ideas and concepts of, you know, even just what a person can be interested in with the product. But also a big part of the brand, you know, COVID aside, has been actually doing activations and events and bringing people together. Like when I first moved here, I came to an event and I was like, Oh, people are like down for this. You know, they want to listen to live music and chat. And it is like, it felt like something that I hadn't really been around that felt real for a while. Yeah. I mean, so that was the main thing It's like when I started doing the NTS radio show, um, I love what they do obviously, but they were doing things obviously with brands and like, they're doing some live shows. And for me, I pitched them this idea. I'm like, Hey, look at, 
when I was a kid and I go to like a warehouse show is usually free and it's usually just bands and like a bunch of kids like hanging out and just like meeting each other and creating a community. And it's to the point where I said was like the stuff I was inspired by were these peers of just like, I didn't listen to like punk bands, like the Sex Pistols or the Clash. I didn't know what that was. I just wasn't, I had no access to it. And I would just know my bands in California or like hearing something on like, you know, like an MP3. So my heroes were like the people around me. And um, the distros were like the people just at the Gilman, you know, they bought records and flipping them. And um, for me, it was like, how do I recreate that experience for people again that inspired me? I wanted to make something that was physical and experiential, right? Because mm-hmm. th- the point, like, I just didn't feel it existed. So we threw on those shows at our studio because I wanted people to feel like, hey, you can enter my house and yeah. you can experience music that I like for free and Mm -hmm. you know again it goes back to the idea we made t-shirts for that so people can go and just like people were standing in line just to get the t-shirt it was almost a trap so they would listen to the music (laughs) like i swear to god that was the reason like hey we're gonna make t-shirts to trap people to come see these bands because i don't know people would just go see shows in chinatown and it worked and like all that money would just pay like the sound guy and like the engineer and it wasn't about like profiting it was just about paying it up and like you know we're doing these shows now with during covid where it's like we're having bands perform you know on whatever recording themselves and all the money of the t-shirts go to paying them because we feel bad that there's no way for them to make money you know what i mean and like right music's so inherently built into us but yeah the most the more physical the more intimate the better because that's where you're going to feel a connection like the coachella experience the like big venue experience is great but the main thing is like it's not inspiring in the fact of like how do you do things and not think about money and scale right like Mm -hmm. i don't want to think about scalability of like you have to be big to be able to do something like Mm -hmm. i want people to feel like hey look it i can put on these live shows myself at my house i can make music i can do whatever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but it's just that's the most important thing not like how do I start a brand? It's more like make anything you can and then think about the business side almost secondary because yeah. if it's cool, it's cool. You know what I mean? None of these guys who are successful probably came from like a business model. It was just like yeah. they just did it because they wanted to support interests they had, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Now, hopefully, uh, hopefully you and your team get to keep doing that because uh, it's been great to watch the brand grow and everything you guys are doing. Oh, dude, thank you so much, man. I mean, honestly, I'm just happy that, you know, we all my brand and, you know, all the team can support each other. And like, you know, we're only growing through this. So I'm super grateful for them, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go all paintballing right. soon, man. Yeah, no, you gotta get out there. I think you'll like it, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't come bunk me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to bunker you, bro. All right, cool. All right, dude. Much love, man. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.